0: Welcome to the Rhodes Church Podcast. We are so excited to connect with you. We hope that this podcast builds your faith and that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Hey, my name's Nathan, and uh, I'm a wood Okay? God has given me the uh, desire and the ability to, to, to make things out of wood. And so this all started with the throne room, they, uh, the throne room exhibit. And so I, I made a cup. And then that cup turned into four cups. And then it, it basically the last six weeks has been a, a, an amazing journey through the wood. Not only through the wood, but through the word. Right? Both of them. It's been a, an incredible, for me personally. So uh, my mom used to take pictures when we went on vacation. And then she would have people over. And they, Did Jim ever have to sit through somebody else's slideshow? Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, it used to be fun. It just sounds boring now. But anyhow, you're going to have to sit through my slideshow today. Okay, because I've been on a journey, and you get to see the pictures I came up with. So, so I, let's get started here. Last week, last week, I better get on the right page. Last week, we uh, we started talking about the uh, Seder, which is the Passover meal. And the Seder was actually a meal that, that the Jewish people do every single year. They've been doing it for 3,000 years, and they walk through the story of how God rescued the, uh, the Hebrews from the Egyptians. And at every point in that Seder meal, they've got a certain point, they drink a cup. And that cup comes out of a verse in the Old Testament. So if you're ready, open your Bibles to Exodus 6-7. Yeah, okay. And that verse, I, I, I'm already there, sort of, because I got it on my paper here. but now we get here in real life too. Exodus 6-7. I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people. And I will be your God. These are called the I will promises of God. And so the Jewish people took this right here. And when they put their Seder and they're remembering how God took them through, they actually assigned a cup to the verse. Now, let me... me Explain These cups that I turned, the the Jewish people's cups don't look like this. I mean, you can buy disposable cups on Amazon for a Seder, little Dixie cups. But uh, I turned these to basically how I felt like the Lord was asking me to turn them in relationship to the verse. So the first one was this one right here. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I turned this piece out of oak. If you remember, I said this piece of oak is about 400 years old. And uh, the oak was symbolic of a yoke. I will deliver you from out from under the yoke because a yoke is what they were using to carry loads. And with a yoke, you can't, you can't see very good. Your vision is limited. You can't move anywhere you want to. Your, your direction and your movement is limited. And a yoke will tend to bend you over so you look down. All right? And if you remember right, we said that Egypt was synonymous with sin. So they're under the yoke of the Egyptians. They're under the yoke of sin. Sin will limit your mobility. It will limit your vision. It will limit your direction. And you can't look up. Sin makes you look down. And God says, I'm calling you out. It's also called the calling cup. I'm calling you out. Set down your yoke so we can talk. I want to look. I, I lift. I'm the lifter of your head. Here, look at me. You can't look at me. You can't look at somebody when you're under a yoke. All right, so that's that's that was what this cup represented here. He was delivering them from the yoke of the culture and of the G- Egyptian gods. But they had a choice. Every one of these cups comes with a choice. You have a choice. You can set that yoke down, or you can stay under it. He's calling you out from under it. It's your choice. All right, your choice. All right. The next cup, the next cup we talked about, was the cup of deliverance or the cup of plagues. And I turned this one out of walnut. Walnut in in. Uh, and the Jewish tradition is symbolic of protection. If you ever had a walnut, you know that you've got two layers before you get to the nut. It's protected, very well protected, hard to crack. And so these cups right here, they have three rings on them, representing the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I've got, I've got captive rings on there, signifying sanctified rings. We talked about that last time. All right? But this cup of deliverance, I will deliver you from the bondage. Deliverance means you're going from someplace to someplace All right? you're going from to I will deliver you from bondage to freedom from Egypt to the promised land, from Amazon warehouse to your front porch. okay it's, it's your from and to, but deliverance also comes with a choice. even with your Amazon package, you have to choose to click, right, All right? It's a choice. you can choose to be delivered or you can choose not to and so that comes with the choice. Then we got to this, this cup is where we ended up last time. I made this out of sycamore. I actually started with this one. Sycamore is, is, in the Jewish tradition, is representative of the tree of life, okay? And this was supposed to be representative of the cross, which is the tree of death, okay? Death became life, all right? And I actually had separated out. Uh, Jimmy was talking about how Christ became sin for us, and that's what that ring is. His Christ, and, and the thorns are there. I, I don't, I, I've, I've, pondered what all he felt on there. And, you know, honestly, I don't want to take away from the bruising and the beating and the scourging. That had to be extremely painful. But imagine what it feels like for you to feel guilty about something. All right? You know how it feels when you feel Now imagine everybody in this room, you've got everybody's guilt that you have to feel at the same time. Now you have the world's guilt, past and present. And then you have the separation. I think what, what hurt the most was actually being separated from from the Trinity. Yeah. That had to be unfathomable. So that there's the, that's the pain that's in that cup right there. So, but the Hebrews, when they drank that cup, they were remembering the sacrifice of the ram. Now, if, if you remember, we talked about last time, sacrificing a ram in Egypt was illegal, punishable by death. So when they sacrificed that ram, they put the blood on the post. That was a profession of faith saying we are trusting this God and not the Egyptian God. It's pretty profound because if God doesn't come through tomorrow, they're all dead. They would all be killed based on the fact that they sacrificed a ram. Right, so that's, they, it's, it's the, when you drink of the cup of redemption, you have to make a public profession. That's what it is. It's a public profession. And this was also the last cup Whenever you read about the Last Supper and and when Jesus and the disciples, this is the cup they drank at the very end. They never drank that fourth cup in the Seder meal that night because from there they went to the garden. So Jesus says this is the the cup. This is the one they drank from was the cup of redemption. And the cup of redemption means to redeem, okay, to avenge, to buy back, to purchase, okay. It was a purchase price there. So the fourth and final cup, is this one down here this is called the cup of praise or the wedding cup all right i turned this out of a piece of olive wood the olive wood actually comes from the Mideast. east i don't know where i had to order it but i know it's expensive and i was i was so hoping it didn't break or check out on me because that's a 70 dollar piece of wood and I, I can't buy too many of those so but that's what it and it's, we're back to having three rings father son holy spirit and we've got interlocking wedding bands on there, because this is the wedding cup, and this is the one that the Hebrews are looking forward to. And they're looking—they—they've they've had these three, but they're looking forward to the time when the Messiah comes back, and gathers them together at the prom—in the Promised Land, and they all celebrate the cup of praise. the, the, the word praise in Hebrew is halal, is where we get the word hallelujah. Okay, and halal means uh, to shine to boast, to be clamorously foolish. And whenever I read that, I thought of David. You know, when David was, was praising before the Lord and his wife got all bent out of shape because he was, yeah, yeah, she just, I think she just had an axe to grind. But anyhow, for the Israelites, like I say, that represents when they're in the promised land. For us as Christians, this right here is the one we look forward to when we are going to sit down at the marriage supper with the father in his house. That's, 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 that's what that marriage cup is. And so, man, there we go. As I was studying about the history and the meaning of this cups, I kept reading over the verse part where it says, I will take them. I will take them as my own people, and I will be their God. And I thought, that sounds really familiar. It sounds a lot like another verse I've heard. I will take them as my own people, and I will be their God, and I, I got to thinking about it, and in, in Song of Songs, you've got the, in verse 6-3, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine, I will take them as my people, and I will be their God, I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine, and I start looking at that, and i look at what I will take means, I will take, in the Hebrew means, to marry, okay, and then you've got songs, so I start, okay, this goes along with Song of Songs, we're getting married here. This is, now I'm gonna, this is something I have to explore at this point. So my little, I'm going to turn a cup, turns into four, turns into weeks of digging stuff out. Ask Sheila. She's like, ah, oh, he's in the basement studying. So so, so did, you ever, did you ever have to do a dot-to-dot book? Raise your hand if you ever did dot-to-dot. Okay. And that's where you go from one to two, and, and you learn how to count, and at the end you get a picture. All right? Well, let's play Bible dot-to-dot. Okay, because this is what we're going to do. Go to, you're at Exodus 6. Let's go to 6.8. I'm going to read these. I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. I will bring you to the land which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. And I got to looking at this, and I got to doing some more stuff. These aren't just promises. These aren't just I will promises. This is a marriage proposal. Okay? The entire Bible is written from a Jewish perspective. At this point, God is asking the Hebrews, will you marry me? Because from a Jewish perspective, if you read this from a Jewish perspective, you're going to be, have a better understanding of the word. And you have to start looking at the Bible through a filter of Jewish culture and history. In the Old Testament, God refers to Israel as his bride. New Testament revelation, it speaks of a wedding feast and a marriage supper. And then we have all heard we're the bride of Christ, right? So I'm going to stop right here for just a second. Let's, Let's step out here. Because I have always had trouble referring to myself as a bride. And if you're a guy, you know what I'm talking about. I, I, I picture a br- bridal gown, and quite honestly, I don't think I'd be that fetching in one. And, and uh, Gary O'Neill, you would not either. Okay, This just not happening. Because guys, in it, we just, we just, we're not cut for dresses. And so that's, it, that's, in my mind, it's like a bride of Christ. You think of a bride, because we've all been to weddings, and we've seen beautiful brides, and then you see this bearded guy walking down the aisle with a dress. It's like, no. Okay? But it has nothing to do with gender or clothing, okay? It has everything to do with relationship and position, okay? Sheila and I have been, been together. We've been married almost 42 years now. And nobody on the planet knows me like she does. We, have in, we, were, we were at a, a gathering yesterday in a room full of people. We have an entire conversation and we never said a word, okay? Because we could just, just pass looks back in two, all right? She can see me from a mile away walking, and she knows it's me because she knows my walk. Uh-huh. All right? And I can tell you what she's thinking by watching her eyebrows. <laughs> because we've been married. We have relationship. It's a very close relationship. And married, the definition of married is to closely be closely united, to cleave, or to adhere. And I brought these pieces of wood in here because they have been, woodworkers call it, they have been married together. Okay? When you take two pieces of wood and you join them, whether you put a bolt, whether you put a, a mortise and tenon, whether you glue them, you marry two pieces of wood together. And to marry these pieces of wood with glue, what you have to do is you actually have to prepare these pieces of wood. You have to plane them down, get them smooth. Preparation, you apply the glue, okay, and then you apply pressure. All right? This is actually, I didn't, it's, it's actually a great illustration of a good marriage. Because a good marriage starts out with preparing the pieces of wood. Right. Okay? You run it through a planer, you get all the obstacles planed down. You apply the glue. If you do not prepare the wood, you don't have a great application of glue. If you don't have a great application of glue, your bond is going to fail. The glue is Jesus. Okay. You prepare each person, you apply Jesus. Life will apply will provide the pressure. And the pressure will make it, if you have a good bond and you are prepared, the pressure will actually make this connection stronger, not weaker. Okay? Preparing wood is the same way as preparing marriage. I'm going to get off subject here for just a second, but we're seeing this more and more. Couples that come, come into marriage and they aren't prepared. Okay? They're not prepared. They actually started living as married before they got married, so now they're not prepared. They have not prepared their wood properly. You can apply all the glue you want to without proper preparation. That joint's going to fail. It's, really it's going to fail, all right? So that's the bride portion. of this. If, if, if we are married to Jesus, closely united, glued together, now you can understand what marriage is. And if you're, if, if you're married to God or you're married to Jesus, I cannot be the bridegroom. I have to be the bride because in a in a earthly relationship you have the husband and the wife the husband is the head of that household he is the leader of that family when I move from this place to there I'm in his house he's the groom I can't possibly be the groom I will have to be in the position of the bride so it changes my whole thinking on okay I'm no longer wearing a dress I'm just standing in in over here okay so are you ready to drink from some of these cups? Yeah. Okay. Because here we go. I think to understand, understand the Bible, you have to understand Jewish culture and a Jewish marriage. And the first thing we're coming up with is Kedushin. Kedushin. Right? To marry. Begin, it begins with Kedushin. Kedushin is actually a betrothal process that precedes a covenant marriage. In biblical times, the Kedushin was very, very very serious. The process began when a father and a son would arrive at the prospective bride's house. They came a-calling. That's an old term. My grandpa used to talk about whenever he would, he was courting my grandmother, he would call on her on Sunday afternoons, right? I would call on you. Didn't call her, called on her. And so this, this father and son come a-calling. What is that cup called? Cup of sanctification or the cup of? Calling. calling. Yes, he came calling. They would knock on the door. The bride had the choice, open it or leave it shut, her choice. If she opened it, they were invited in. Once they were invited in, a cup of wine was brought out. It would be passed to the bridegroom. He would take a sip. He would then pass that to the bride. If she took a sip from it, it meant she was ready to listen to what he had to say. Remember, this is where it's going. I'm, I'm willing to hear what you've got to say. If she didn't, game over. They turned around and went home. But if she took that sip, if she accepted the cup, it meant she was setting herself apart. Do you remember what set yourself apart means? What's the word? Sanctify. What is this? the cup of sanctification right here. She was willing to set herself apart and, and, and not entertain affections from anybody else. That was the cup of sanctification. After this thing was drunk, the cu- the families, the two families, would then move and go into a meal together. Revelations three twenty, behold, I stand at the door and knock. They knocked. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him. Okay. When you read this, when when Jesus said this, the Jewish people knew what he was talking about. Right? We read over, it's like uh, no, he's talking about. A betrothal process. Okay, phase two, over supper, the two families would hash out the terms of the covenant marriage. They would discuss the transfer of property, the legal obligations of something, transfer from something to something. I want to take it from here to here. I'm taking you from your daddy's house, and I'm going to take you to my house. All right, I am going to, what, I'm, what am I going to bring? I'm bringing money to the table, basically money that's money and property that you're going to be inheritance of. Uh, money from him, faithfulness and allegiance from her. Okay, Basically, they discussed what each person, especially the groom, was willing to promise and deliver. If we had had a Kiddushan meal, I didn't have enough promises for a McDonald's Happy Meal. Because I, 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 honestly, we came in, I didn't even have a job. I didn't have a job. We were, we, we were moving into her parents' apartment. I had borrowed furniture from my brother. I borrowed TV from my sister. Uh, that's about it. Two ticks and no dogs what we call each other. <laughs> we had nothing. We had absolutely nothing. But we, got, we, we went through the process. And so once the conditions of, the, of this meal... The, the, the discussioner had, they take a second sip of wine from the cup of deliverance because it's delivery, it's transfer from one to another. Right? I'm transferring. They would take that cup. Still, once again, her choice. If she turned it down, that meant, no, we're not going anywhere. But once that sip was taken, they went to phase three. This is called the ketubah. Ketubah is merely a document. It's a document that's written to outline the terms and the conditions we just talked about over supper. Now that the conditions were discussed and agreed upon, it was time to put it into writing. And the ketubah, or the word, became the property of the bride. She got to hang on to him once they had it all filled out. It was hers. She would hold on to this testament to protect her rights and to be able to remind the groom of what he promised. Okay? He made promises, I get to hold you to them. The Ketubah laid out the promises and obligation before, before and after the marriage, such as what the groom was promising to provide for food, drink, clothing, especially the accommodations. Okay, where are we going to live? And so, I mean, I don't know. It's like, are we living in town are we living in the country? You know, it, uh, she got to decide, she, had, she got to have input on what she wanted for her accommodations. But it also made provisions for the bride in the event of a divorce or a death. Because if he were to die prematurely, the promises that were in that ketubah became hers. Okay, she, she had access to the money that was there. She had access to some of the property that was there. If he died. So the bride would, on her end, she would promise to remain pure, prepare herself to be a wife for her husband. She did this by accepting training. Training from older women who had been married. Training from women that were in her groom's family who knew him best. Okay, does he like him scrambled or over easy? You know? <laughs> she had to learn what it was because her job was to be able to learn how to be able to serve him in a manner in which he needed to be served. Okay? Titus 2.4, older women train the younger women to love your husbands. Matthew 28.19, go make disciples teaching them in all that I have commanded you. There's a training here. See, are you getting this? The connection between us and Jesus and an actual marriage in Jewish, it's there. It's been there the whole time. The ketubah would often hang in the house for everybody to see. When you walked in the house, you could look at their ketubah. You you could actually, man, he promised that? (laughs) Oh, boy. So it's more than a wedding certificate because it was promises. And the groom would then, at the end of this, Kutuba, putting together, he would pay the bride price called the mohar. It's also called the redemption price. Remember, to redeem, to avenge, to buy back, or to purchase. Okay? So he would pay that redemption price. And at this stage, even at this stage, if the bride chose, she could back out. They've gone through all this. She could still back out. And then the ketubah is signed by two witnesses, and now... They are legally married. I now pronounce you man and wife. Doesn't sound very romantic, does it? Okay, we're going to come over. You're going to knock. We're going to have supper. Talk about it. Sign some paper. We're married. (laughs) But keep in mind, like I said, if if he were to die prematurely, those rights were hers. And so when he left the house that night, if he got struck by lightning, it was legally binding. She had it. If he walked outside. And the soldiers grabbed him, took him to a hill, and hung him on a cross. The promises are still binding. The ketubah was there. The couple would take a third sip of wine out of of this Kedushan cup right here, the cup of redemption. The groom says to his bride, I will not drink any wine again until both of us sip from the wedding cup on the day of our wedding at my father's house. Yeah, okay. So Matthew 26, 29, what Jesus says to the disciples, I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink anew with you in my Father's kingdom. They knew what he was talking about. How many times have you read that verse and you didn't know what he was talking about? All the time until like a few weeks ago. I had no clue, right? The last words the groom will say to her is, I'm going to my Father's house to prepare a place for you. It's the last words Because he will leave. Even though they're married, he's going back home, and he's not going to see her for probably a year. All right? We'll get get into that. I've got ahead of myself there. But uh, when we take communion, when we take communion, we're drinking from this redemption cup. This is part of the Ketubah. This is part of the Ketubah process for us as well. If we're married to Christ, when we take communion, we are actually taking a cup, renewing our vows. Every time you take a communion, you're renewing vows. Communion is a whole lot more than a cheap wafer and a plastic cup. Okay, I mean we've reduced it to this little ritual, and we do this, and yeah, you know. And, and let's face it, the wafer doesn't taste that good anyhow. So, so but bottom line, when we take it, we are renewing vows. Who all's married? Raise your hand. Okay, a lot of married people. When you got married, you took vows. A lot of them probably had traditional vows. I will love, honor, cherish, good times, bad times, sickness, health, all those things. And this is the same thing. When you take communion, you're saying the same thing. Jesus, I am still hanging with you. I'm going to be faithful to you whether I'm sick or whether I'm not, whether I got money or whether I don't. If it's good times, bad times, it doesn't matter. You're still my man. All right, That's what you're saying when you do do communion. And Jesus is saying we have a ketubah. We have a document. Will you remain faithful until I come back? Okay? While I'm gone, will you remember me? Remember, do this in remembrance of me. While I'm gone, will you remember who I am? So the groom leaves the bride's home, and he announces to the community, this was awesome. He goes outside, and he announces to a loud voice, because there's people gathered around. The price has been paid. It is finished I never knew that but that's what the bridegroom says to the village, he announces this has been done I have paid the price, she's mine okay he goes home, he begins to prepare a place for his bride he basically adds on rooms to his daddy's house okay, in the inn room he will usually send a valuable gift back home to her, sometimes it's coins sometimes it's a ring That's what we do. A lot of the customs we have come from old marriage customs, where the engagement ring comes from. You send a valuable gift home to say, okay, until we get married, you're mine, and this is signifying you're taken, right? So, but in John 14, 16, he sends a valuable gift. I will ask the Father, and he will send you a helper, okay? Jesus sent a valuable gift to us. Okay, and the Holy Spirit. And then they will not see each other again. They're married. She has legal rights. But they don't, and he walks out the door. They don't see each other again until the Nishuan, or it's the wedding ceremony, which is about to be it's maybe a year, sometimes more. A lot of it depends on whether, whether dad let him do it or not. Because what he would have to do, he would have to make accommodations, and they would have to be better than where she was coming from. The, the accommodations where he was taking her to had to be better than where she was coming from, okay? But during this time, the best man, or the Shoshpen, would act as an intercessor and mediator between the two. They couldn't see each other. They couldn't talk to each other, but they could pass messages back in two with, by via, the best man. The best man was usually a really close friend or a relative, Now the bridesmaids, the bridesmaids throw the bride a party and at that party they give her a veil and this veil is what she's supposed to wear when she goes out in public. The veil is basically a public profession saying, I'm off limits, I'm taken, okay, you can't have me and let's face it, the guy's gone for a year and she has to go out and about. And this is where it gets really hard. How many know that when you're in the waiting period of anything, it takes forever, right? Yeah. If you're 10 years old waiting on Christmas, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the waiting. And I wonder, I, I, got to, I actually wrote this in last night because I, I got to thinking about this. I wonder how many times she would go out. And you know guys, guys, you know guys took the veil as a challenge, okay, well, she says she's taken, but I bet you I can talk her out of it, because I've known snakes like that, yes, it's like, oh, you really don't want to marry him, promise, he, he can't fulfill that promise, go, take your veil off and, and go out with me, all right, oh, come on, man, he, his pickup's 30 years old, you really, how do you think he's going to provide you with a house? No, did he really say that? Oh, that's not happening. I mean, guys will try, if, 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 a, if a guy will try to talk a gal out of her veil, you know good and well Satan's going to try to talk you out of your stuff too, okay? And that happens all the time, okay? And I think it happened then too, because we'll find out here in a minute. The wedding ceremony could not take place until the father gave his go-ahead. This was usually a year or more, like we said. If somebody said, hey... When are you getting wed? Ah, oh, you know, you're going to have to ask Dad. <laughs> I don't know. Because Dad was the one that called the shot on that. He's the one to pulled the trigger. He's the one that inspected things. So Mark 13, 32, On the day of the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, only the Father knows. When is Jesus coming back? Only the Father knows. Okay? When you coming back to get your bride... Only I have to ask Dad, right? As preparations come to an end, the groom is purposely will let it slip out that the wedding day was near. The bride could then make final preparations. All right? She's been working all along, getting her dress made and everything. Now she makes final preps. She gets her bags packed. She gets her wedding clothes all laid out, ready to go. Gold dress hemmed in, or white dress hemmed in gold. Her bridesmaids come to her and take her for, for a mikvah. A mikvah is a ritual baptism, all right? And and this one here was a ritual baptism for marriage, and it was supposed to be taking place in water that came from a natural source and was flowing, whether it be a lake, ocean, stream. Stream, Streams work really well because it came from a source and it flowed, and she was supposed to immerse herself into the stream facing where the water was coming. The reason they had to be flowing water, because flowing water is called, in Hebrews, living water. Okay, I have to immerse myself in living water to purify myself for the groom. Okay, she would come out, they would put all kinds of perfume on her, get her ready. After the mikveh, the bridesmaids are stationed along the processional route. It could be up to two weeks. He let it leak out, but it could be two weeks later. That's the reason you've heard you read the part about they have to have oil in their lamps ready. Okay, because it, was, it, it wasn't just, okay, he's coming and he's there. They're waiting. It's like, oh, come on, man. It's like 13 days and counting. So they had to have oil in their lamps. She had to have oil in her lamp as well. Now, the groom and the groomsmen would announce by shofar that they're coming. A lot of times, most of the time, they came at night. A lot of times around midnight, they would come to the bride's house. They're carrying swords. They show up at her house with swords making a big to-do and they're acting like they're actually acting out that they're going to steal the bride away. Okay, I think 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, he comes like a thief in the night to steal. You're going to like this one. They're coming there to rapture her. If you look up 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17, says, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. This is what the bridegroom is doing. And the dead in Christ arise first. After that, those who are left alive and are left will be caught up. The word caught up in the Greek is harpazo, which means to snatch away, to obtain by force, to rapture. So when the, when the groomsmen are coming back, they're coming to snatch her. They're coming to rapture this bride. All right. She's supposed to have her bags packed and ready. They shout, behold, the bridegroom cometh. The groom would look up at her window to see if the lamp was burning. If the lamp was burning, it was a good. If the lamp was not burning, that meant she probably took her veil off somewhere along the line and she was not headed out that door, all right? It was her choice all the way up the end. It's always been her choice. However, If she's willing and faithful, she comes down, she opens the door, they will lift her up, and they will carry her away to the Father's house, okay? Where they're going to have a wedding feast that's going to last for seven days. And at that time, they're going to drink from the wedding cup, okay? That is Passover. That is a Jewish wedding. That is what Jesus is talking about whenever we read the scriptures in the Bible. All right? I studied this, and it was like a major eye-opener for me because what, from what I can see, the Bible is a book of two caducians and two Ketubas. The first Kedusha is the Old Testament. The proposal was in exodus. God was calling them out. He made promises to Israel. He made all these promises. He said, will you marry me? But the, problem, but, the, but the Ketubah was based on law. We had the Ten Commandments and it was the law. And so the Hebrews said, yes, we will marry you and we'll be faithful to you because we have to. We'll be faithful to you out of duty. Yeah. Now, I don't know about you all, but if the only reason Sheila stayed married to me was because she had to, that would be a long haul. I'm here because I have to. I mean, that's no. All right, so they said we'll be faithful out of duty, but the problem was Israel was not faithful, okay? They failed over and over again. So I don't know if you knew this or not, but in Jeremiah 3, 8, God divorced Israel. I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away. God is a divorcee. He is, but in his mercy, he says, you know what? I'm going to give them another chance. If you want to come back to me on different conditions, let's talk. But not only Israel, everybody. So God made an appeal and put forth renewal vows, a second Kedushan and second Ketubah, and we call it the New Testament. You have the Old Testament, which is the Old Ketubah, and now you get got the New Testament, which is the New Ketubah. All right, and he's saying, Jesus is saying, will you marry me and be faithful, not out of duty, but out of love? Amen. Not because you have to, because you want to. Yes. Let's have a marriage based on love, okay? Jesus 14, or John 14, 23, 24, he says, Anyone who loves me and will obey my teaching, my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. If you love him. Uh, it's been probably, I don't know, 25, 30 years ago, uh, I was talking to a, an evangelist. He was, he was at the church, and he was talking about a couple he knew, and they'd gone to school together, and let's just call him Bill. Bill and Sue had been together since like eighth grade, and they went through eighth, eighth grade, all the way through high school. They got engaged, and right after they got engaged, Bill got drafted. He gave Sue an engagement ring, a big engagement And then he got shipped overseas. And Sue stayed home for the first few months, but she got bored. And after a while, her friends talked her into going out. And so she goes out. And she has a good time, so next weekend she goes out again. And then it keeps getting more and more. And and as time progressed, she got more and more flirtatious with the guys. And one morning, she still had the ring on, but she woke up in a bed that wasn't her own. You see, she still had the ring, but she'd lost touch, touch with the relationship. Okay, she'd forgotten who she was, and she'd forgotten who Bill was. Right? And, and here's a here's a bit of truth. And it's it's church, big C, little C, all C's. This church is no different. We, some of us, I'd say, I I will say, I'll include me even. We we have an identity crisis because a lot of us identify as Christians and we wear a ring, but sometimes our relationship is really lacking, okay? Some of us have lost relationships, some of us have never had it. But in a healthy marriage, I know this for a fact, in a healthy marriage, a couple will grow together. They will talk regularly. They will make decisions together, right? Not about the big things, but little things you know are you sure you want to paint the walls that color yeah okay you know it's decisions but their lives are married together just like this block of wood they are glued together and if we claim to be christians we have we have to take time to to check the health of our marriage to jesus okay how is that relationship going are you growing Are you growing in the Lord? Are you talking regularly? Do you run run decisions past Jesus? Okay, not just the little things or the big things, but the little things. Uh, Should I buy this? Huh. Okay. Should I be going here? Should I be watching this? See, Probably 25 years ago, I had a conversation with a guy, Roger Willis, if anybody knows Roger Willis. And we were talking about a movie, and I said, man, it's a good movie. It's, it's, uh, it's got some words in it, and it's, you know, it's got some scenes that probably didn't need to be there, but it's, a, it's got a good plot. And, and Roger looked at me and he said, Nathan, he said, how many hairs do you have to find on your hamburger before you send it back? And I don't know about you, but that rocked my world. It, it basically changed the way our viewing habits now. We, for, for the last 25 years, we, if, if it comes on, it's like, it's like oh man, that, that's not right. The Holy Spirit breaks your heart. It's time to change the channel. Get up and walk out. You know, what are you watching? It's little decisions because little decisions basically are the steps to big decisions. Should I be ga- engaging in this activity? What are you doing you know, do you ask Jesus, do you think it's okay if I do this? Okay. Should I be living this way? Like I, thought, I said earlier, there's a, there's a lot of couples that are living in a way that Jesus didn't tell you to do that. You didn't ask him first. I can tell you that. So do you still love Jesus in the waiting? Because we drank these cups. We're looking at this cup, but today we're living here. And the question is, are you living here or did you get tired of living here and now you're living over here somewhere? You know, where? where it's your position. Where is your position in this marriage? We have the ring. Do we have the relationship? Luke twenty-two nineteen 19 said, this is my body given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. You could also say, this is my kaddushin, This is my katuba given for you. Will you remember me while I'm gone? Remember who you are. We need to remember who we are. We need to remember who he is. Because if we're going to drink of these cups... We need to keep the vows of the Ketubah. Right. This is the Word. He's given it to us. We can hold Him to His promises. They're ours. This is our Ketubah. Hang it up in your house. Read it as you walk by. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to give, please visit us at the theroads.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our latest sermons.